Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. That is the bell at the New York Stock Exchange there as the market comes to a close. When I signed the tax cuts six weeks ago, it set off a tidal wave of good news. And today posted the greatest single same-day drop in stock market history, 1,600 points. And for the Philadelphia Eagles, the long drought is over. Welcome to Tell Me It's Gonna Be Okay, the show about the president who's been described as a tandoori-coloured tumbleweed. I'm Mia Friedman, co-founder of Mamma Mia!, and I've been described recently by a male journalist as mellowing in middle age. This week, there has never been a president who has so closely indexed his success in office to the stock market. Apparently, Donald Trump is good for business because he's a rich businessman who does business. I'm really rich. That's what he told us throughout the campaign, and it's what he's been tweeting pretty much every day since he won, taking constant credit for record market highs. I did this, he tweets, this is because of me and how smart I am with money and also business. But this week while he was making a speech, the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 1,000 points in under 10 minutes. And it kept falling. The greatest fall in a single day ever. So how did Trump handle that? And after their first ever Super Bowl win, the Philadelphia Eagles, which is apparently a sports team, will reportedly break tradition by refusing the president's invitation to the White House. Is this a big deal or a non-event? Plus... We need to talk about Hillary again as we dive deeper into claims of mishandled sexual harassment within her 2008 campaign team. Is it time for her to step down off the feminist pedestal upon which she stands? I certainly hope not. Here to discuss all those questions and many more is journalist and honorary American Amelia Lester. Amelia, did you watch the Super Bowl or were you consumed with the stock market crash or neither? I did watch the Super Bowl because when you are around Americans, it is customary, but I didn't actually watch the Super Bowl. So I was in the room, but I spent most of my time on Twitter reading out zingers. I sort of bypassed all of it. It didn't seem like it was particularly interesting. I'm not that interested in in Justin Timberlake, but I'm interested in the optics of them refusing to go to meet the president afterwards. So this is obviously a tradition, the winner, winning team in the Super Bowl go and visit the president. Now, he was in office already this time last year. Did the team go or did they not go? They did go. But interestingly, Tom Brady, he's a member of the Boston Patriots team, which is sort of typically seen as the, the reigning champs, the number one team. And Tom Brady is the quarterback. So he's seen as like the star amongst stars. He did not attend and there was some conversation about whether or not his wife, Giselle Bunchen, the supermodel, supermodel, who was Brazilian, told him that he wasn't allowed to attend. By all accounts, Giselle is very interested in environmental issues and in climate change. And there was thinking that she told him, listen, you're not allowed to go to the White House, but that's just speculation. He released a statement at the time saying that he had a prior commitment. So this is the first boycott that we've seen, although we've seen a lot of other instances over the past year where 
various winners of medals or prizes who have always traditionally been invited to the White House and been given a sort of a state reception and meeting the president, which is considered an honour, have refused to go. So this is becoming a bit of a trend and Trump is really disturbed and distressed by any perception that he has been snubbed or humiliated. So do we know how he's responded to this? I don't think he's responded as far as I know at this point, but I was really interested in this because LeBron James, who is a basketball player who stumped for Hillary during the 2016 campaign, got into a bit of a Twitter altercation with Donald Trump a couple of months ago because his team was invited to the White House and he said that he didn't want to go. And then Donald Trump released a tweet that said, well, he wasn't invited anyway, which is ridiculous. And then LeBron James called him a bum. Is this got to do with the down on the knee, not rising for the anthem? They said they weren't going as a show of unity. Yeah, so what I think they were trying to do, the footballers, as opposed to LeBron James, the basketballer, were trying to avoid this kind of Twitter altercation where Trump says, well, you're not invited anyway. So notably, they released a statement saying that before the game, before they even knew they had won the game, they, as a team, acting in solidarity, had decided that they would not go to the White House if they were invited. So this is them saying, we don't want to get involved in some kind of silly Twitter spat with you. We just don't want to go and see you at the White House. Mm. And yes, it's connected to the take a knee controversy, which we I think we've touched on briefly on the podcast, but which Trump revived last week in his State of the Union address, uh, where he talked about the fact that he thinks that football players protesting police brutality by taking a knee during the national anthem before a game is actually disrespecting the troops. And they're trying to say, no, it's not. It's about protesting police brutality. But in so doing, Trump created a lot of division around the national pastime, which is watching football. The only thing I know less about than sport is the stock market. But I just want to touch on the stock market briefly without asking you any technical questions. The Dow Jones is the index of 30 major global companies, and it's kind of a way of taking the temperature of the economy in every in every country has a, a sort of a stock market index. Now, the Dow had a record-breaking increase in the months leading up to the crash, for which Trump took credit. But the crash saw it drop by a thousand points in just 10 minutes, as I said earlier, on Monday afternoon, which is the absolute largest drop in the number of points in history. But to put it into context, which I think is important, percentage-wise, it was a 7% drop. But on Black Monday in 1987, which I'm old enough to remember and you probably weren't born yet, the Dow dropped 22%. So percentage-wise, it's not as bad as the crash of 87, which people remember. You know, you and I were sort of speculating, what does it mean? People on Twitter were speculating, how will he handle it, having taken credit for it? Now, he has egg on his face. Some people were like, I can't wait to see how he gets out of this one. But what was the response on Twitter? Well, crickets. He didn't say anything about it. The whole idea that he needs to get his way out of a situation, if he doesn't want to talk about something, he doesn't address it. And because he doesn't believe in holding press conferences, no one has to ask him questions about it. My favourite tweet came from Matthew Brooker, who is an editor at Bloomberg, and he said, stock market, barely knew the guy. He had a very, very minor role. Don't think I even met him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a couple of points on the stock market question based on my cribbing of people who actually know what they're talking about, i.e. economists. Number one, if you're not trading on the stock market, if you're not a stockbroker, you don't need to worry about the stock market because it's an essentially arbitrary 
set of decisions made by people who are not even basing them necessarily on a lot of evidence or information. It's essentially a giant gambling ring. So don't worry about it too much is the first message. The second message is that the stock market is just one indicator of how an economy is doing. It doesn't reflect unemployment. It doesn't reflect inflation. It doesn't reflect productivity. Again, it's arbitrary and separate. And so the fact that Trump kept taking credit for it meant that economists kept warning him, okay, you're taking credit for this arbitrary thing. It may well crash, and then you'll have to take credit for that too. But of course, he didn't listen, and then it crashed. We will make America great again. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. I want to go back to a story we touched on last week, which is about baby Hope's mum. So in the State of the Union, Trump told the story of an opioid-addicted young woman who was pregnant and a police officer came upon her with her partner about to inject heroin. She was eight months pregnant. And the way Donald Trump told it, in that moment he decided he was going to, God had spoken to him and he was going to adopt this woman's baby and save the baby and he did and the baby's called Hope and then he with great flourish said welcome Officer Hollitz and your wife and baby Hope are here today. While some people thought it was beautiful other people like us were a bit disturbed because if it was a question about the opioid crisis if it was an illustrative example of how serious and sad the opioid crisis is well what happened to the mother? It also raised questions about Was this a dog whistle to anti-abortionists about why even drug addicts shouldn't have access to abortion, even if they're not able to be fit mothers? And it had a bit of a Handmaid's Tale vibe about it, that she was just this unnamed drug-addicted pregnant woman who was never mentioned again. The author, Jennifer Weiner and columnist, tracked down baby Hope's mum. It wasn't hard because CNN had actually done a story on her last December. And here's a little bit from that story. Heroin and crystal meth control crystal champ's life. (laughs) It is um, everything. The strangling grip of addiction has left her homeless on the streets of Albuquerque, New Mexico. For Crystal, the thought of a guardian angel walking into her life was unimaginable. But that's what happened when Albuquerque police officer Ryan Holitz found Crystal and her companion Tom Hello, folks. shooting up heroin behind a convenience store in September. It looks like you guys are getting ready to shoot up over here. Ryan Holitz, okay. a father of four, wasn't ready for what he noticed again? next. Are you pregnant? She did have a name. Her name was Crystal. And... Since the story became public, the police officer has a GoFundMe page for her. She's since gone to rehab and she's been sober for about 30 or 40 days. By all accounts in that story, she seemed very happy for the child to be adopted. So reading this backstory, did it make you feel a little bit more comfortable about it? I guess so. I've still felt uncomfortable. I guess it's just a very American story in that there's the injection of faith into what seems like a really big decision, which is whether or not to adopt a stranger's baby. Also, he made the decision to adopt before he checked with his wife. 
I don't know. Am I just hard-hearted? You, you were, you were soothed by this, correct? I mean, obviously, the way Trump portrayed it is revolting. I think, like so many things, when you dig a little deeper and go to the source, you see that it is more nuanced and more complex. And the mother, you know, was interviewed after the adoption, and she said she loves this baby, but she just knows that she can't be a good mother right now. And I think it was the best outcome for the baby to be with a stable, loving family. The fact that she's on the streets and that she has this baby on the streets is a failure of civil society. If she is a drug addict, which she by all accounts is, what sort of access to healthcare did she have leading up to this? Did she have access to contraception leading up to it? If Republicans have their way, she may not have found it very easy to get an abortion if she wanted one. It's just there's a whole backstory about what kind of safety net was in place for her. And the answer is if she's on the street with her baby and is addicted to drugs, very little. Hi, guys. Peter here. I'm driving home. In peak hour traffic in Melbourne, along Beach Road. My name's Vanessa. I live in the Blue Mountains. My name's Gail. I'm from Melbourne. No matter where you listen, we always love to hear from you. So call us on the pod phone 02 Mia, there's just been some news in the last hour or so that I wanted to mention. The Washington Post published a big scoop about the fact that Trump has been talking ever since he went to France for Bastille Day. You might remember when he commented on Brigitte Macron's figure to her husband. Uh, He went for Bastille Day and was very taken by the military display that France put on. And ever since then, he's been talking about wanting a parade of his own in the US. And apparently, in mid-January, in a meeting between Trump and top generals in the Pentagon, it basically reached a tipping point and the Pentagon realized that this was more than a whim that Trump, in fact, wants a big military parade. In the last hour, that was confirmed by the Pentagon that they are working on this grand military parade. And the reason why this is such a big deal is because it's traditionally been seen as kind of un-American to put on a big parade like that. First of all, they're not typical because the United States correctly sees itself as the world's biggest superpower. So they don't need to put on the kind of parades to prove their strength that countries like, for instance, North Korea do regularly, because the idea is that they shouldn't have anything to prove. And secondly, they're incredibly expensive. They cost millions of dollars. They're actually worried that the tanks that Trump wants to roll down the streets of Washington, D.C. are going to ruin the asphalt on the streets there because the streets are very old. Oh, my God. And the tanks are very heavy. What What is a military parade? I mean, I've seen those ones that North Korea does where they send these ridiculous-looking rockets and stuff down the street. Like, is it actually that? That's exactly it. At worst, it looks like a totalitarian regime with Trump, of course, aggrandizing himself at the end of the parade and showing off his force and strength. And at best, it looks pathetic for a country that is the strongest in the world to try and prove itself in this way, which is totally unnecessary and which hasn't been done in the US since 1991 when George H.W. Bush had a victory parade after the Persian Gulf War. So it's different to like an Anzac Day parade where servicemen and retired servicemen and diggers march with their medals and it's seen as a respect and a memorial and a, and a way to thank the troops. It's, it's not that. It's actually the weapons that are on parade. 
Exactly. That is such a useful distinction. The U.S. already has days very similar to Anzac Day to honor the men and women who serve in uniform, such as Memorial Day, which is incidentally the day that Trump is thinking of having this parade. But this is about the weapons. It reminds me of an interesting point I saw made online after the State of the Union, where at the point in the speech where Trump was talking about getting more nuclear weapons, the camera cut to the generals who sit in the audience this is the most powerful and high-ranking generals in the country, their facial expression said it all. They do not want more nuclear weapons. People who actually have to go to war do not want to celebrate war in itself, which is what this kind of parade has the effect of doing. And moreover, it just brings up the really uncomfortable, hypocritical element of all this, which is that Trump did not serve in the armed forces and, in fact, avoided the draft during the Vietnam War because he said he had bone spurs in his foot. And when he was asked about that years later by Howard Stern, he couldn't remember which foot he had these so-called bone spurs in. Even though he's got one of the best memories, the best memory, he's got a beautiful (laughs) memory. So it's really a penis parade. Like it's really, I've got a big penis, I want you all to see it, look at my big rockets marching down the street. Yep. And it's also gross because currently the US, as the Washington Post put it, the US is now dropping bombs in seven countries. The wars in Iraq and Afghanistan have still not ended. Trump himself dodged the draft and he's going to stand there and celebrate the artillery of war at this time. I want to just ask you how this is going to be received because there's this real thing that it's a like a get out of jail free card. If you ever talk about the military, everyone has to get on board or you're unpatriotic. So so Trump uses it very much as a shield. When he wants to criticise anyone, he says they're disrespecting our veterans. Will people who oppose this be seen as unpatriotic or do you think there will be pushback? If you had said to me two years ago, how will this be received? I would have said that people would be able to distinguish between a parade to aggrandise Trump and boost his polls and honouring veterans and people who serve. But I actually believe that one of Trump's achievements, and I'm putting that in quotes, yeah. is that he has now made it possible to be a conservative and to side with him over the military and over the troops. I think he's actually been able to do that. So you saw after he called John McCain a coward, yes. he likes his war heroes not captured. After he called the Gold Star family, he implied that the mother of Kazir Khan was not allowed to speak during the Democratic National Convention. There was no outcry. His party members weren't worried about paying the troops during the recent government shutdown, unlike Obama. I'm just seeing signs that conservatives have become so extreme in their views that they will side with Trump over the military, which makes me think that this by his base, will be received with enthusiasm. Have you discerned that same shift? I'm not as tapped in as you are to this thing with military and how sacred it is here. I was very shocked, I agree, that he was able to get away with dissing prisoners of war when he dissed John McCain and then dissing the Gold Star families. He literally can get away with anything and I keep coming back to that. I could shoot someone down the middle of Fifth Avenue and no one would care. I keep thinking that that's true. Hello, friend. It's me. I'm just interrupting myself and Amelia 
to tell you something really important. If you rely on Facebook for your Mamma Mia content, did you know that you're only seeing about 5%, sometimes not even that, of the podcasts, articles and videos that we produce every day at Mamma Mia? We actually produce dozens of pieces of content for you. It's time to take back some control over the content you see. We want you to come home for the full 360 degree view of all the content we produce for you. Come back to the homepage, mamamia.com.au. See you there. A story that broke just before we recorded last week's show, uh, very intentionally, I might add, 15 minutes before the State of the Union address by Trump. Hillary Clinton released a statement on Facebook where she addressed the accusations well, the facts really, that when one of her senior advisors in the 2008 campaign had been accused of sexually harassing a young female staffer, despite two female senior aides urging Hillary Clinton to fire this aide, his name was Burns Strider and he was Clinton's faith advisor. Yes, you can't make this stuff up. He was her actual faith advisor. I don't know what a faith advisor does, but in her book, she referred to him a few times. He was accused of repeatedly sexually harassing this young woman with whom he shared a campaign office. And in this report that the Times broke this story last week, they said that she told a campaign official that Mr. Strider had rubbed her shoulders inappropriately, kissed her on the forehead and sent her a string of suggestive emails. But Hillary didn't fire him, as was suggested to her. Instead, she docked him several weeks of pay, insisted that he go and do counselling, which it turned out that he never did, and he moved, she moved him into a different position. Now, five years later, he was fired from another Clinton-related organisation. It was a super PAC that was working on her campaign, her next campaign, for the same thing, for sexually harassing a young woman. So... The statement that she posted on Facebook, which I want to ask you about, read in part, it's a lengthy statement and we'll put it in the show notes and we will also pop a link to it in our Facebook group. Tell me it's going to be okay on Facebook. She said, I didn't think firing him was the best solution to the problem. He needed to be punished, change his behavior and understand why his actions were wrong. The young woman needed to be able to thrive and feel safe. I thought both could happen without him losing his job. She went on to say that in hindsight, she was wrong about that. And proof of that was the fact that he went on to reoffend. Now, a lot of her supporters, a lot of women and a lot of feminists went ballistic. Ruth Marcus wrote, how do you write down the word for a primal scream? And said that it was just more of Clinton not accepting responsibility and being a hypocrite, blah, 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 blah. How did you read this whole situation? I think where I basically came down is that This was a different time and as unfortunate as that might be to admit, we just didn't have the understanding about sexual harassment and the sophistication to discuss it in the way that we talk about it these days. So to me it's a bit of an example of, again, holding Hillary Clinton to a higher standard than everyone else. That said, the fact that she released this statement, which was kind of mealy-mouthed and a little bit, evasive and also released it 15 minutes before the State of the Union, that's Hillary also in a nutshell because it's like you're not owning this, you're being a little bit evasive, own up to your mistakes and talk in a way that makes people think that you haven't run this through 50 million advisors. What did you think? 
There is no way to publicly apologize without your apology then being torn apart. I understand that when you've been accused of something, along with apologizing for it, you also want to put some context around it. I think that's important. And I don't think that that's evasive. I don't think that that's not getting it. I don't think that's being tone deaf. I don't think that's making excuses. Yeah, I get, I do get that. The timing, of course, 15 minutes before, that was probably a little cynical. She also tried to say, well, the New York Times is hypocritical for breaking this story because they've got their own sexual harassment issues with Glenn Thrush, who was Maggie Haberman's sort of writing partner covering the White House, being suspended for accusations of sexual harassment in the office and, in fact, being demoted and he no longer writes about Washington or the White House. So he was sort of penalised for that. And that was a slightly weird thing to bring up. But the elephant in the room is really Bill Clinton, isn't it? She can never be a clean skin on this issue because she has always got the fact that Bill Clinton has been over many years and decades had allegations of sexual harassment and worse that have hung over him and have never really been addressed. No, and it's actually even really hard to dig into them to even find a way to think about them as a feminist and as someone who probably aligns themselves with a progressive cause. It's it's really hard to figure out where you stand. And I say all this even with the caveat that obviously Bill Clinton is not Hillary Clinton. She is not responsible for her husband's actions. But you're right. There's so much murkiness around this whole topic with her that – this whole thing was such an unpleasant flashback to the 2016 election, don't you think? The the themes around Hillary and the murkiness around Hillary, a reminder of exactly how people treated her and how she behaved. It was unpleasant for me to be reminded of that. Yeah, I agree. But I also really resent this idea, even in our own intro, We, you know, I, I said earlier, is it time for her to step down off the feminist pedestal yeah. upon which she stands? Like the hyperbole in that, Women aren't perfect. Feminists aren't perfect. Our leaders, our icons, our mentors, our role models, our political leaders for sure are not perfect. They make mistakes. They make bad calls. They behave in ways which maybe are acceptable at the time, maybe not acceptable at the time. They are human basically. And this idea that if someone isn't perfect, she's somehow disqualified, I think that that's something that that women tend to do and it drives me crazy the way that we put other women on pedestals and then knock them down and I just don't see us doing that to men. You're right and that's another reason why what I said before, oh, she was being evasive, she was being defensive. She has to be evasive and defensive because she's being held to a higher standard than men. Therefore, she has to be mealy-mouthed about it because she's being dragged over the coals in a way that a Joe Biden wouldn't. I mean, Donald Trump hasn't released his tax returns. He's covered up all these allegations of sexual assault and (laughs) sexual harassment. He paid off a porn star. He had affairs while his wife was having a baby. No one calls him evasive and defensive. Well, because he doesn't have to be evasive and defensive. I guess that's where I'm ultimately coming down here. We talked about the stock market before and how he's going to respond to it. Guess what? He's not going to respond to it. So no one's going to call him defensive. And he doesn't have to because he's not held to the same standards. Yeah, It's enough to make you want to smash the patriarchy. It is because I feel like what female leader is going to be perfect enough for us? What female leader will not have some kind of flaw where, you know, people were like, well, we want a female candidate. We just don't want this candidate. And it's like she's a flawed candidate. Show me someone who isn't a flawed candidate, male, female, Martian, 
There's no such thing. Everybody's flawed. People were even saying Oprah was flawed. And my God, if Oprah's flawed, what hope is there for the rest of us? My other red flag on this is the idea of holding people to account by today's standards based on their behaviour 10 years ago. You know, there were words that we used. There were things that we said. There were things that we did. There were women who used to smoke during pregnancy because that was just not seen as a bad thing to do back then. Do we retrospectively prosecute them? There is a real atmosphere right now of going back in time to hold people account to standards that we've only recently formulated about all sorts of things. And this is another example of that. None of us had the understanding of sexual harassment in the workplace and its effects five years ago that we do now. We only started talking about this in November of last year. Let's remember that. Talking about it as a society. And I just would love to see one time some public figure apologise for something they've done and not be further eviscerated for their apology not meeting these mythical standards that everybody seems to have about this perfect apology that doesn't exist. Yeah. That's it for the week. Is there any chance that the penis parade won't happen or it's set in stone? Well, now that the Pentagon's confirmed the Washington Post report, I think it's pretty much set in stone. It's going to be a real debacle, but what we can comfort ourselves with is that it's the same month as Harry and Meghan's wedding. (laughs) Fantastic. I know which one I'll be watching. Um, Lots of love. I think it's going to, is it going to be okay? I think so. I, I don't know. I think I think we're all starting to get a little bit wiser. Oh, I forgot to tell you, I've booked a live show. Now you'll have to come to Australia for a visit. Oh, that's very exciting. Where is it? It is in Sydney. It's at the Giant Dwarf Theatre where we do our live podcasts. It's on the 10th of May. Maybe that'll be the day of the Penis Parade, which will be great. We can celebrate it together. We are <laughs> going to have some special guests joining us on stage to talk about everything from Javanka to Russia penis parades and beyond. If people want to buy tickets, you can go to mamamia.com.au forward slash events or we will put links in the show notes of this podcast and in the Tell Me It's Going to Be Okay Facebook group. I am so excited to see you. That'll be great. Will you tell me what to wear? Because I'll be very pregnant by that stage. Oh, my gosh. I think you should wear a big American flag. This is probably the first that (laughs) listeners know about you being knocked up. It's been our secret (laughs) and now everybody knows you're officially out. I'm Instagram official now. You're Instagram official. Congratulations. I am so thrilled. I hope you're going to call this baby Javanka, whether it's a boy or a girl. Or is it going to, am I going to spell it Javanka like Michael Wolf? Yeah, no, I was, that disturbed me through that entire book. I really wanted my money back on the basis of that alone. <laughs> I love you. I'll speak next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Tell Me It's Going to Be Okay. If you want to read any of the articles that we've mentioned and to keep up with the best of our Trump coverage on Mamma Mia, head to the show notes page or come to our Facebook group, Tell Me It's Going to Be Okay group on Facebook. You just have to answer one very simple question, which you should have no trouble with. And a special shout out to the person who said that the group really should have more balanced coverage of Trump with more pro-Trump content. (laughs) That was funny. This podcast was produced by Luca Levine for the Mamma Mia Women's Network, and we will see you at home at mamamia.com.au.